<laughs> yeah. Proboscis on the mic. Proboscis on the mic. Mumble. <laughs> They're very professional. Now, like I was saying, Tom, uh, we've been spoiled by Cam. If we get someone that comes in professional, they come in on time. Yeah. Yeah, you know, the volume's at the right. <laughs> Mate, we won't know what hit us. We wouldn't know what to do We've with been ourselves. spoiled. We've been spoiled. Under the Bar podcast here. Mm. Um, Tom is my name. Rawdon, how are you? <laughs> Mate, hanging uh, in there. We've got the Wookiee. Cam in the, in the corner there. He's just <laughs> nodding away, which is mm. good. Uh, right, okay, really exciting episode. Lots yeah. of things it's to... It's big. Uh, like our, our guest is big. Massive, Big mofo. huge, huge. Like a bison. Matt Wenning from mm. Matt Wenning Strength. Look, yep. he's got three world record Qu- records. Quadzillion world records. Uh, power lifting. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, he's 2011, got, yep. He's got an awesome Wenning Strength podcast. He owns a kick-ass gym, Ludus Magnus, mm-hmm. in uh, Columbus, Ohio. It also chime in there, Masters of Science in uh, Sports Biomechanics, oh. Bachelor of Sciences in Exercise Science, mm. <laughs> 10,000 hours experience working with, uh, you know, training uh, Division One athletes, NFL, Olympic competitors, uh, yeah, I mean, the list is That's uh, all long. Cool. But then he's also got this special mm. tactical strength training mm. programs. Mm. And basically, he runs these out of local fire departments. He's done some yeah. special forces stuff. Yep. He basically yep. implements a, like a five to seven year program, I yeah, think Yeah, yeah, it's is. long, long, yeah. No quick fix. So no he's, quick he, fix. He, um, he realizes, you know, building a core fundamental strength uh, just takes time. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's more of that long-term uh, project, but, but really cool. And, and realistic, you know, it's... It's not, hey, give me 12 weeks with your fire department. I'll get them, yeah. I'll get them shredded and, and strong. It's like, no, this shit takes a while. Let's, let's, let's build the foundation and get these guys strong. So they can actually take, you know, uh, I, mean, I mean, he'll go into the numbers, but mm. it was crazy when he broke it down. It's like um, they can't even deadlift a certain amount, yet with all their equipment, they lift a certain amount. So I think they can lift a, you know, a 20 kilo person or something, and then they're sweet. <laughs> Yeah. Anyone over that and they're screwed, yeah. like or potentially or risk of injury uh, greatly enhanced. So um, it's, I think uh, he wants everyone in each department to deadlift two hundred kilos, a couple of hundred kegs. Yeah, some of the people uh, can't you know can't lift eighty kilos and they're expected to drag bodies out of blazing infernos. Yeah, yeah, with all their equipment on. Yeah, and, that, and that's that's the thing. So um, absolutely fascinating. Um, so he'll go into all that cool tactical strength yep. stuff, but also I think uh, really interesting, Rodden, about how he's built his business. Like mm. he's he is a busy man. Every mm. every mm. section mm. of his day is cordoned off for him to you know be productive he likes in the a world. bit of sleep as well yeah I think he does <laughs> if yeah. I recall yes mm. uh, but a really really nice guy yeah uh, rumours of a, a tour down under a tour down <laughs> under as we <laughs> always uh, as we always throw it in at the end yeah. so who knows might be able to get him down under that'd be good speaking of which uh, Roderick Chavez the evil genius who's mm. Uh, mm. you know mm. played mm. a fairly significant role in the, the last sort of quarter of the uh, under the bar playlist mm. You know, you've seen Broderick's uh, episodes. He's been a regular well, contributor for quite some time. Look, I mean, the, the thing was, Tom, just to, to interject there, you know, we basically knew the quality of, of what we had to deliver was really diminishing. And uh, we had to get someone in yes. to uh, lift lift the, uh, to, you know, to keep, <laughs> to keep the listeners happy and yeah. deliver some decent content. Let's be honest. That, oh, that was our motivation. Yeah, absolutely, man. That, uh, that is the motivation of the yeah, podcast. Exactly. Smoke and mirrors. Smoke and mirrors. Well, flies we'll f- eyes. <laughs> get the flies eyes out, and then uh, get these 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 guests with far more uh, experience and uh, credentials than what we have. But but Broderick certainly delivered uh, above and beyond what we could have ever hoped, and um, very exciting to have him out this uh, April. 
uh, three or four weeks' time now, mm. evilgeniusdownunder.com mm-hmm. is where you can get all the information. And it's for a the slip. Seminar. Check out that. Thank you, Tazzy, for knocking that up. Campaign manager. Campaign manager. Absolutely uh, dominating that uh, little website. But so we're in uh, UTB in conjunction with mm-hmm. Flex Success. Yep. Dean and Lizzie up, up uh, Dalton and uh, there's a couple other guys up there. Uh, yeah, a bit, bit of a crew north of the border. The Cane Toads, we call them. Cane Toads. So, combined forces. We're bringing uh, Roderick Chavez. So, this April uh, 7th, I think, at, at uh, the Big Red Dwarf, was it? <laughs> Giant Dwarf in, in Surrey Hills. And then uh, Little Tokyo up in uh, Brisbane on the 14th, I think. Yep. But, uh, you know, massive capacity at these venues. So, we could have thousands, uh, you know. So everyone's uh, welcome. We can accommodate all, but but really, really exciting athlete optimization, but with a you know a bit of a spin. So you know there'll be something for everyone. That uh, and if anyone hasn't heard Broderick, uh, you know break things down and go off on a tangent and get all go wound up and passionate about things, um, have a listen to some of the previous podcasts. But uh, certainly not to be missed. And uh, just when he talks about. Nothing in particular. It's it's uh, it's amusing and uh, yeah. entertaining. So uh, I'm sure you won't be disappointed if you do come along. No, you won't. So there'll be pre-recorded material yep. that you'll get uh, pre-seminar. So that's, I think that's going out at about three weeks out. I think you'll have two to three weeks. weeks. Yeah, yeah, three, two, three two, weeks two, out. Two, two, two to three weeks. You'll have to digest that. Or thereabouts. So basically, that will cover the origins of of the human species. Mm-hmm. We'll go through mm-hmm. a bit of biology 101, mm-hmm. then systems of the body, and then the various hormones of the system. So there'll be yep. a nice rundown on all these key hormones. Mm-hmm. Um, and systems of the body that we utilize when we're training and trying to manipulate body yep. composition and all yep. that kind of stuff. And then I think it, it, I think you will sort of refer to these. They'll be discussed in uh, not a lot of detail, so it will really um, pay off. Uh, you know, sinking the teeth into the pre uh, pre seminar material, and all of that will be then referenced. Mm-hmm. As he goes through the day, looking yep. at all these diet strategies mm-hmm. for powerlifting, strongman, bodybuilding, mm-hmm. you know, periodization models for optimal performance, yep. the role of cardio, all these yep. kinds of stuff. Well, that's well, the devil. There's going to be a lot of uh, a lot of great content on the day as well. Mm-hmm. So, evilgeniusdownunder.com to get all the tickets and everything for that. Yep, very exciting. So that's pretty much all we have to do, mate. I okay. think uh, now we, uh, we we throw to Cam. Cam, uh, yep, and, in the, the Millennium Noggin, get it done. We throw to Matt Winning. Mm-hmm. Under the Bar podcast. Well, Rawdon, we've just been talking off air, so I don't want to fluff around in this no, intro because it's, it's good stuff. It's good stuff. It's good stuff. But let's rattle off some numbers. Let's uh, see if this will let our listeners know who we've got on the line. Yeah, yeah. And we'll do the conversions. I'll, I'll go pounds yeah, and you, you give pounds. us the, the kilos. So we've got a powerlifter. Yeah, yeah. We've got a, yeah. one of the world's best powerlifters. One of the go. world's best. Okay, so an 832 squat. 832 squat. squat. A 611 yep. bit. My best. Yeah, my, well, sorry, my best squat ever, completely raw, is 865, but right. I broke the world record at 832. Okay. Well, he's online right now, so let's just get into it. So, <laughs> yeah. Matt Wenning right. yeah. is... We're going to rattle off all the numbers, all but the they're numbers, ridiculous. But we'll, we'll, we may as well just talk about it now. Essentially, if you don't know Matt Wenning, well, he's an all-time great power lifter. Yep. He, he's, out he's of the a, West Side Barbell guys, came out of that. He's got a degree in biomechanics, a bachelor in exercise science. Uh, so he's very knowledgeable as well. Mm, All mm. the pieces are there. Mm. Uh, we've got him on to talk about a whole heap of stuff today. This is very exciting. Mm. Matt, thank you for your time. Welcome to the podcast. <laughs> yeah, not a problem at all. Okay, let's hit the numbers again. Okay. You said the interesting thing with Matt, Tommy, before we go into this, yeah. he actually, one of the few, and correct me if I'm wrong, Matt, but you set uh, equipped 
like dominated equipped lifting and then you swapped to raw and actually set records in the raw uh, competition as well, yeah? Yes, yeah. So one of the few to be able to do that, yeah. Okay, so let's uh, let's hear it from the horse's mouth. Uh, so best, uh, why don't we do the the equipped uh, numbers first, uh, Matt? So uh, best yep. squat, uh, uh, ever? world world record eleven ninety seven point six. Eleven ninety seven point six, Tommy divided by two point two. We got a five hundred and forty four kilo uh, squat there. Equipped. Oh my god! So equipped uh, for our listeners that are laymen's. I mean, we're going to have powerlifters listening to this, listening to this, but but some that are not will just be boggled by that. Uh, so equipped is what a suit, uh, knee wraps, belt. Yep, exactly. Okay, so five forty four squat. That's half a ton. Half a ton. Yeah. Uh, where are we going to go next, Matt? What was your next one? Next one is um, broke world record completely raw, belt only and singlet, uh, 832 uh, squat, and then bested that the next year to 865. 865. Uh, it's wide away. 2.2. Tommy, I'm going to... 393. And that's just with a... Are you taking the piss here, Matt? That was just with a weight belt. Right, just a belt only. Oh, oh my God. God. That's almost 400 kilos. I think that's a car. I think that's a car, mate. All right, so that's uh, there. Your squats. What about? Uh, let's move on to the uh, bench press. I know your bench press is pretty crazy too, mate. What do we do there? Eight hundred and forty pound bench and, and equipped with a bench shirt. Yeah. Okay, so that's uh, three hundred and eighty-one kilos. My God. <laughs> and then I've done six eleven point whatever and completely raw and wrist wraps only. So two hundred and seventy. Well, we'll call it two seventy-eight kilos, Tom. Yeah, it just, just doesn't even make any sense. Then, well, we can't. Uh, I don't think the calculator goes that high. Tom. Yeah, 175 kilo deadlift. Uh, what was that one, mate? Three, 375 kilo deadlift. 375 kilo deadlift. <laughs> okay. And then uh, when we add all those up, mate, what was your total uh, equipped, and where does that stand in the the overall ever? The, the, when I did that in 2008, that was the all-time world record. Nobody had ever touched it. So the world record was 26.62 for about eight years, and then I did 26.65. Yep. Um, and wow. then on the raw, uh, my best total is 22.04, which bested um, one of the great lifters over here. Um, and uh, that, was, that came in second of all time, and if I would have done that, about four to five months earlier, it would have been the all-time world record raw as well. Matt, so you're chasing the total, right? And you got a so your equipped total two six six five. You knew you had to beat two six six two. How much mm-hmm. strategy goes into that specific number? A in the lead up, and also B on the day. Well, you know, I mean, it, the hard part with training for meets is that it's not what you can do in training or what you're projected to do. I mean, you have some ideas, obviously, from the training. But it's about what you can show up with that day. So yeah. sometimes after the squat, you just know when it's on, it's on. And um, that total, the 2665, I actually did that with a 1,085 squat or yeah. roughly 500 kilos, I guess, um, or five, 495 kilos, whatever. Uh, the key, When I did that squat, my bench press training had gone so well that um, I had my best bench before that was 800. And um, I knew that I had way more in the tank, so I tried 815 to put my body in a position to where I didn't have to deadlift 
100% maximal to break that total. Yeah. So I hit 15 bench, and that put me at a two, 1,900 subtotal. Is that right? Yeah. Whatever I did, and then I had to pull 765, which wasn't that bad for me, uh, to break the world record total. So a lot of it was strategy, but you know, a lot of it fell on the first two lifts or the yeah. subtotal yeah. To, to make sure that I could easily beat it. Tell me, Matt, um, just to chime in there while we're, we're still hot on the topic, um, that 765, I mean, you rattled off your best deadlift. That was uh, considerably more than that from uh, from the numbers. Like, did you, were you tempted maybe to, to really get yeah. that, uh, really stomp your authority on that that total? Was it more strategy I, at that I point had, of time? If I had to do over again, I would have took a bigger deadlift that day. But the problem was is that, do you for sure break a record or do you yeah, miss it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know. That, what? Well, the problem is I think normal people wouldn't realize, but, you know, you're only going to have so many days in your lifting career, if you're yeah. lucky, yeah. to be able to even compete at that level to where you have a chance to be or make a number that no human has ever touched. Yeah. And to me, um, breaking it by one pound or 50 didn't matter. It was broke. And then yeah. my name was on the top. That leads me to my next question. I mean, can you you must have thought about it many times. Can you identify what it was about that day? Did you do anything differently? Yeah, and maybe, it, maybe you your prep you up to it. Did you, you knew it? Like what what was it? And and maybe your lead up was it just perfect? Everything went according to plan or I think the week before, I just noticed that my my nerves weren't that bad and my sleep was really good and my hydration was right and um you know, I had a lot of – when I did that – and this is kind of personal but awesome to share, but I had a vendetta on that total. Um, when I did that when I did that 2665, that was seven or eight months before me and Louie didn't get along anymore, and I lifted at a different gym in Columbus that was a mile – a couple miles away from Westside. And when I went to that and did that 2665, that was at – Louis's personal pro-am meet and I did it right in front of him so the, the thing of it was is that it was kind of a big face rub into him that I didn't need that gym I didn't need the people there to get better that I could get better on my own and I think when Louis at that point even in the magazines had to hand me the money and I took best total and best squat and I didn't think I even won best heavyweight Wilkes he had to hand me like close to five grand that day and I think that really put the nails in the coffin as far as him realizing that uh, me needing that facility was no longer necessary. Yeah. And so I guess the point was is that I wasn't going to let anything get in the way of me breaking that record that day um, due to that reason mentally. But then it just seemed like all the dominoes fell at the right time. The hydration was there. The training was there. The rest was there. All of it was timed in perfect, and the vengeance was there to go on a world stage and realize that I represent myself now and not yeah. not an entity. And, yeah. and and tell me after that, Matt. I'm just from a business perspective because I know uh, for any of our listeners that are aware of what you do, you do work, you do coach online, you do do seminars, yeah. you're doing stuff with the Strength Sensei, Charles Pollock. I know he's a, a mentor of yours. Uh, did yeah. did it open up a lot of opportunity when you? I would I would think it would. Um, was it was Not, was the grass was, greener? I think it would have been different if that time. This time was about two thousand and eight, and social media didn't carry word as fast as it does now. Yeah. I think that if I was where I was at now, 
and the media, social media was as popular as it is now, I think it would have had a different aspect. But you got to remember, by 2008, I was already working with Ranger Special Forces for the U.S. Army and doing a lot of other cool shit that really brought me more notoriety than just lifting alone. And I think that's where has really separated me as a power lifter is that I lift because it's my hobby and my passion that I've had since I was 13 years old. But how I portray that knowledge and experience to clientele that are special forces, FBI, uh, firemen, which I'm getting more and more famous of doing, those were the things that started opening up massive doors for, for big city and township contracts where yeah. I was working with, you know, pretty high-skilled um, tactical divisions that cared that I was strong, but more cared that I was smart. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that that's where it separates me is that I've learned to take this knowledge and apply it to different um, different units and, and different ways to get people optimal results with low injury rates. Because in the end of the day, powerlifting is an extreme and very highly injured sport. Yeah. And I've learned to take the best of that sport and make it a injury preventative method of getting – uh, groups and people stronger so that I think if I want to be remembered for anything you know obviously a great lifter and all that stuff is awesome but I've taken lifting and made it made it help people that it, their lives are on the line fighting fires or being in the army and getting shot at and having to be strong enough to carry a, another person out of a bad situation Absolutely awesome, and um, let's delve into that shortly. But before we go there, why don't we? Um, I'm fascinated how it all started for you, Matt. Like, were you uh, were you a, a big kid? Were you were you you know you hear about these uh, guys that are just strong anyway? Like when you first started lifting, were you, or did you have to develop it? How did it all start, and when did it start for you? Yeah, I had some some genetic gifts, and I had some timeline setbacks, and I'll get into that. So. I remember even as a kid being able to bench press pretty strong weight. So my uncle had come to live with us for my mom's brother had come to live with us for about six months and he had a set of plastic, you know, sand filled weights and uh, he had a bench press and some other, you know, bullshit curl bars and, you know, just stupid shit. And I remember I had a buddy named Nate that was like, the, the class athlete, you know, he was the kid in elementary school that everybody wanted on their flag football team. He yeah, was the yeah. kid that was the best, you know, baseball player. And he was the kid you wanted. And whatever you were doing sport-wise, he was the kid you wanted to pick. Yeah. And I remember him coming over to my house, and we were just messing around with those sand weights, and I could just demolish him <laughs> on the press. But that – so I, find, I found out about seventh grade – or about 12, 13 years old, that I had some kind of gift for bench pressing. I didn't know how or why, but what I but what I did have to work for very, very hard is my legs and back. So I know I've talked about this on a lot of different podcasts, but when I was six years old, I was struck by a car doing 80 kilometers an hour, <laughs> my bicycle, and I was just going into first grade. So I was six years old. Um, I was in a wheelchair and full-legged cast for almost a year, and when I got out of those casts, physical therapy was just fairly new, and um, so I I didn't get the proper therapy and flexibility coming out of the casts, 
And when I started to train legs, about the same time I started to train the bench, which was about uh, 12, 13 years old, my legs did not develop nearly as fast, and it was much more painful and uh, much more of an uphill battle. Yeah. Uh, and they caught up by the time I was 16, 18, 20 years old. But I remember my knees and my ankles and my hips just being absolutely crushed. And a lot of it was because they had so much scar tissue from the bones going. I had compound fractures coming out of the skin. So we had a lot of, a lot of, you know, a lot of scar tissue damage and fascia damage. And I would say I got that all broke free and I was turning into a pretty, pretty badass squatter by the time I was 23. But those first 10 years of training, my legs were just, my legs and back were just completely demolished. And I didn't learn until about 24, 25 that when I broke my legs, I actually broke my pelvis too, which actually makes my pelvis so a little awkward, which is why um, I know so much about back health is because it's always giving my back a problem if it gets out. Yeah. Um, that, so the lifting, I, I was walking in a YMCA. I was a bigger kid. There was a national caliber lifter there named Tim Smith, which was a 240 kilo bench presser at 90 kilo body weight. Ooh, so this strong. dude was a fucking spark plug bencher. And mm -hmm. he saw me and he was like, you got the build to be a really good lifter, and I don't know what that is at 12 and a half, 13. Well, he takes me under his wing, and he doesn't know everything about training, but from a small town, he was like king, king shit, you know? Yeah. So he's teaching me how to lift, and by the time I'm 14, 15 years old, going into a freshman year in uh, high school, so I'm 14 or 15, I'm already benching well over three plates. Yeah. <laughs> Awesome. By the time I'm graduating high school, I'm one of the few guys at national competitions that's benching close to 500. Um, to give you an idea that powerlifting is a marathon and not a sprint, you know, yes. my bench was right high school was right at 500. It took me till I was almost 30 to get it to 600. Yeah. Wow. You know, and I, I had a big talk with you. Remember Andy Bolton? You know that big puller from Britain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He pulled 900. When he was 19, and it took him 15 years to pull a thousand. Whoa! So I mean, but you know, there's only been a few guys that's ever done it. But my point is, yeah. is think about the dedication it takes to put a hundred pounds on in 15 years. Yeah, yeah. Slow return. I guess I took all of my cards that were a bad hand dealt to me yep. as a child and made them made them as good as I can make them. But I honestly think if I wasn't in that car accident that my numbers would even be more impressive than they are now but there's a flip side to that and the flip side is i wouldn't have been nearly as knowledgeable because i wouldn't mm. have had to learn yeah how to do things right because it would have just been handed to me for the part of career that i'm in now where i teach others i would say more importantly than i lift myself i wouldn't have traded those cards for anything because the education that i had to go through to learn the things that i learned i would have never had to if i was just a freak yeah no look i mean we we've had a uh, numerous guests on this podcast matt that have been through significant uh Events. aspects of their lives and and it's clear how it molds the person that they are i mean when did you become conscious of that 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 car accident was a defining or you turned it into a positive aspect. Were you aware of that at the age of 16 when you're having to put so much work into your legs? Was that a driving force or, or that was just part of your... A setback and a thoughtful setback. But, you know, at 16, I didn't have the 
mechanical background, biomechanics masters, and all these things to start putting the plugs together. Yeah. All I thought was, hey, work through the pain, quit being a pussy, <laughs> train harder, and just keep pushing. And luckily, I had the willpower to want to do that. I didn't realize that all that stuff was setbacks until I was in grad school and started realizing like these huge mechanical and bi biomechanical thought patterns that get drilled into you in master school that I start putting all the pieces together going, holy shit, I can't believe I'm this strong with this much problem. Right, yeah. No, but I, no, I never, I just, I never, I, I guess it happened to me so young that I didn't put all the pieces together until I got older. Yeah. Fascinating. Right. Well, what? one of the things that we wanted to, one of the reasons why we wanted to get you on, Matt, was that what you mentioned, the very diverse nature of your work these days and the stuff you do with special forces and uh, and the firefighters. And the wellness yeah. aspect. Yeah. I mean, one of the things you work on is tactical strength. If we could talk about that for a little while and what you define tactical strength to be. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's just like, it's just like our conjugate thought pattern, tactical fitness for me is going into a department and rant not randomly but individually selecting people's weaknesses bringing them about in their training now that could be cardiovascular that could be nutrition most of the times yeah. i find that it's strength and lack thereof in certain areas and i keep digging and persevering those areas until they're not weaknesses anymore and so I, I have a multifaceted thought pattern of how I attack tactical fitness, but in my opinion, the definition is to take a individual that works with either firefighting, special forces, army, coast guard, any of those things, a tactical environment, and making sure that they have all the tools necessary to complete their job, not only in a performance standard, but an injury reduction standard. That's where I feel like my thought pattern and philosophy lies yeah that's uh that's awesome man um the matt tell me is there a common common thread are you finding that uh you know i mean you hear the you're only as strong as your weakest link are you finding like the lower back seems to be the issue across the board is there some inherent um issue that you're finding sort of always crops up that our listeners could take on board oh yeah for sure and it's gonna and it's not gonna be much different than what you find in sport but the big three that is knocking the pants off of insurance costs over here is shoulders, low back, and knee. Yeah, Those yeah. are three areas that cause problems. But if you see the injury data based on the strength assessment of those areas, i.e., most of these guys I've seen that have shoulder problems, they can't even do a pull-up. Most of these guys I've seen that have a knee problem have horrible hamstring strength. And most of the guys I see that have lower back issues have undeveloped and unactivated glutes. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. those three major areas are causing all of the problems, whether it be time over time or something erratic that happens. Mm. So when you come into a, uh, a tactical environment like that, the fire department gets you in, what's the standard of, of strength and conditioning like? I mean, do they have any structure yeah, to they what do they're anything doing at the existing moment? or have you got to go in there and rebuild it from the ground up? Well, that's what's nice. It's, it's, kind, of, it's kind of a fresh start. So over here, um, strength conditioning, as far as it pertains to fire departments, they might have weight rooms, but they're very uneducated and very um, non-goal-directed because they don't have – they don't have all the data. They might have guys that are hurt, but they don't plug two and two together and figure out that, oh, we're getting all these injuries because these are the areas we're weak. 
Yeah. And then a lot of the places that I go and help, even if they have a weight room, they don't have the proper equipment that matches their injury rates. Right. So you go in there and you see a preacher bicep curl and a bench press. You don't see any specialized low back training. You don't see any hamstring curl machines. You don't see any belt squats. You don't see any of these things that are going to decrease the injury, but are um, th that's just the problem. So when I go in, it's kind of nice that it's a fresh slate because I'm not having to redo a bunch of bad stuff. So what, what we're finding is that every department I go into, the strength in those muscle groups is very lackluster and the strength level of the basic lifts is so behind even middle school yeah. athlete levels that you, you can totally understand why these injury rates are so insanely high. Um, when I first went to my first fire department and did an average deadlift over 135 guys, the average deadlift was 80 kilos. <laughs> wow. Now, to give you an example, their average weight in gear is their their gear weighs 30 kilos. So now they're only able to lift 50 kilos safely without getting injured yeah, because yeah, they're already yeah. at 100% capacity. Yeah. You take 30 kilos nice. and you subtract that from their strength, you're only at 50 kilos. Well, that, who the hell weighs 50 kilos? Yeah, that's, uh, that's a scary way to put it, man. Like if it's uh – they're going in to pull people out of, uh, you know, blazing infernos, and they got to chuck a couple of people over either each shoulder. You know, they're pretty much recipe for disaster. Yeah, or drag someone along the ground. Even is, is uh, but I, I guess the positive thing is, is that from an eighty kilo base, there's so much you can do to yeah. drastically improve their performance. Yeah, and it's exactly what we do. So my my goal as a department, and this takes years. This is not something you can yeah. do in a little weekly session or whatever. But my overall goal is to have every one of my firemen in tactical divisions be able to deadlift 200 kilos. Yeah, right. Yeah. Okay. Which, for a, which for a power lifter is not that big of a deal, but for the average person, that is massive. Yeah. Yeah, that would be. You know, I mean, about it. you go to an average gym. I don't know if you guys have Lifetime Fitnesses or LA Fitnesses. Go into one of those gyms that you guys have. It's a basic gym, yeah. and walk in. Show me how many people you see lifting four forty-fives on each side. Nah, never. R rarity, yeah, mate. Very rarely. That's what gives me a really a real big advantage of working with these guys. Is that I don't put limitations on them. Yeah. Okay? And so when you start working with someone, Matt, and you start to see their strength dramatically improve yeah. in the areas where they're weak, I mean, what kind of transfer does that gym strength have to their tactical operations? Well, it's huge because, like I said, we just compared it to their gear weight. So now, if they're walking into a fire and 30 kilos of gear is kind of heavy for them, they're going to have trouble carrying dummies, equipment, people, uh, hoses that are charged full of water. The maximal strength is the key component to getting them better. The, but the other underlying thing that I don't think people realize is that maximal strength is also the key into being able to do anaerobic endurance with heavier implements mm. that allow you to have more of a strength base. So my point is, let's say, I mean, everybody's familiar with kettlebell swings, right? Yep. Yep. Well, if your if your strength level is only eighty kilos, what kind of kettlebell can you use for kettlebell swings for sets of two minutes? Uh, light. Not very. Big. Twenty. What, 16, 16 kilo. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Now, what if your deadlift's two hundred kilo? Yeah. 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 Well, now, now a, a 24, 36 kilo kettlebell 
is not that heavy to you. Yep. Therefore, you're able to do higher levels of anaerobic endurance that require heavier resistances. Therefore, able to transfer over to carrying people and equipment. But if you don't have the base strength, it's like it's like building a fast car. You can have a thousand horsepower engine, but if you have a weak frame in that car, you're going to yeah. break the car every time you touch the gas. Mm. So to take someone from 80 kilo deadlift to a 200 kilo deadlift, there's a fair bit that goes into that. And there's actually obviously a fair bit of muscle mass that must be accrued as well. And in an ideal world, some nutrition and everything to support that process. So do you go into that aspect as well, Matt? Yeah. Usually we're in a caloric because of being in the United States, which I'm sure is a prop, becoming a problem over there in Australia, we're not in a caloric deficit by any means. You know, <laughs> these guys, yeah. these guys lose fucking body fat and they need yeah. to gain more muscle. So I don't find the nutrition needs to change for the better. They need better calories, but you know, we're not we're not doing strength training on Ethiopians where they don't have any calories. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't I don't try to fix that first. But what I do try to do is. The first thing that takes the longest is you have to build technique yes. on people that are already developed. They might already be aging, and they already have distinctive muscle imbalances. So the first thing to get somebody to do a below parallel squat when they're already 35 with minimal athletic background can take a while and do it safely. Yeah. So, so that's what we have to do first. Yeah. Increase mobility, decrease weaknesses. So yeah. once I do that, I do that with exercises that are traction-based. So instead of teaching them a squat, I teach them a belt squat. Instead of teaching them a stiff-legged deadlift, we do 45-degree back extensions. Instead of doing something a good morning, we do reverse hypers. I get them strong in a traction-based environment, and then when I feel like their strength and coordination and mobility are at least up to par or average, then I start to teach them the core barbell movements, and then I gain, I hit two birds with one stone. The first thing I do is I'm making them strong in the weak areas, but the second thing I do is I'm building the base of strength without putting any spinal compression on them. Therefore, I'm keeping the injuries low. Very good. Tell me, Matt, I'm fascinated how, how all the process uh, happens. It, it, I mean, it sounds like a, you mentioned 100 plus firefighters there, but it sounds like a, as much as it's a, an awesome uh, prospect to strengthen these guys it sounds like you'd need an army of matt winnings in there yeah Um, do you have a a team that 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 works with you and you sort of orchestrate the magic i take interns yeah i take interns and they're 12 weeks long for me to certify them so you know most of your personal training certifications are a weekend course or you have to pass a test to get my certification you have to work by me for 12 weeks and and make sure that i know that you know your shit and that that's to me is probably my certification is probably the gold standard because of time and intensity um and we don't hand those out to just people that complete 12 weeks so you have to show me that you know how to do all that with that being said i've usually run anywhere from two to three interns at a time um but i have come from a division one college background where we had 20 and 30 athletes at one time so i'm not uncomfortable with teaching 20 guys at a time because i have a very fast method of getting people to understand complex things quickly and do you run all these out of the ludus magnus facility matt so some i do but most of what i do is when i go and get contracts with these fire departments i make them go buy everything i want for every (laughs) fire and then i go to them and have a main teaching station and then they have all that equipment back at their own firehouse 
And 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 what about um, the the duration? You mentioned years to get these guys up to speed. Um, yeah. Once you start the process, you get the contract. How um, how soon are you seeing progress for these guys? Is it within uh, weeks they're starting to to get those basics down and and they're I seeing? Say, I would say that we get mobility progress within the first four months. Yeah, we get weakness strengthening within the first year and then we get real strength training real performance training within the first two and a half to four years depending on how hard it is to change the culture at the firehouse so if i got a bunch of young guys that just got hired that don't know any different other than doing what i tell them to do it's a different scenario than if i got 25 to 50 40-year-old guys that have no athletic background and want to fight me every step of the way. Yeah. The I mean, problem is that stuff for them, because it's union, is not mandatory. So I have to change the culture, and that takes a while. So the problem is with these guys, everybody, just like I'm sure if you guys have met with athletes or older populations or personal training, you have to figure out what makes people tick. Yeah. Because, like I said, these guys could opt to not even come and see me at all. I mean, that department is paying me for me to be there, but they can't make it mandatory because of their unions. So what I have to do is figure out, does this guy want to be able to go play with his grandkids when he's 60? Is he uh, worried about being a badass fireman? Yep. Is he, if he doesn't care about any of those things and just wants to skate, scoot by, I have to figure out what makes him tick, and then I have to manipulate from there. And that becomes very, very hard. Fascinating. Yeah. Is this where the wellness aspect of your operation comes into play? Yes. I mean, what I do is, I'm sure you're familiar with Charles Polquin's bioprint or metabolic analysis. Yes. Yep. But what I do is go in and take their body fat, and then after six months of them making small diet tweaks and things like that, I show progress through the bioprint and then usually through their blood work because they have to get standard physicals every so often. Yeah. Once they start seeing that getting better, and then they feel like their mobility is getting better, and then they start feeling like when they go take runs, they're not their knees don't hurt and their back yeah. doesn't hurt, and their shoulders don't feel like they're coming out of socket and those things, then they start buying into the system. Well, after two to three years of that, we got a completely different culture change at the department. Yeah. That's but it awesome. just takes time. Amazing, dude. There's so many moving parts going on. There's, you know, a good sort of 12 months minimum programming system. Just to get the basic mobility. There's training your own staff to facilitate your training systems. Mm. There's getting all the equipment, Mm. uh, the finance, Mm. the contracts. There's a lot of moving parts, Matt. How do you, have you had to, have you done this all yourself as the creative genius? Do you have a, a, like a business advisor or a team helping you put it all together? I just, I honestly just did it all myself over the last 10 years, but here's how it works now. So back in the day, it was selling them a theory of what I thought was going to work. Yep. Now, because of certain departments that I've had for upwards of 10 years, we are showing a quarter of a million dollars a year in pay time off, workman's comp claims, et cetera, savings per year based on what we do now versus what we were doing before I got there. So now I have all this insurance data showing these massive savings in numbers to now all I got to do is put that on a chief desk and go you want to save money and <laughs> of course they do because they have to answer to trustees and townships yeah so they see this as one of the things they can implement to save money and that way I have all the data showing them saving hundreds of thousands of dollars 
and now I don't have to sell any kind of theory. It's it's proven. Oh, that's awesome, man. The proof's in the pudding. Oh, it's it's uh, well, it's a system you could take internationally. Yeah. Yes. But what I have, what I had that made made it lucky, was obviously I knew what I was doing and I had a really good idea, but the initial fire department that I worked for, a guy named Chief Al Wu, gambled on me. I sat in his office and he goes, "What do you think you can do for this department?" I told him, "I said, look, I think I have a method that I use with the military that I think will work, but we'll have to start at an easier level." because we're not dealing with guys in their prime. I'm not saying the military guys were any better. Mm. They were just younger and more resilient. So I'm starting with an older population. So we had to start slower and softer. Well, Wu goes, look, I'll give you five years to get this stuff straightened out. Not 10 weeks, not a year, five years. When I did that, that's when I realized that when I go sit in front of these guys to get these contracts, I won't even take the job unless they're going to bid in it for five years because I know that's how long it'll take to change. Yeah. Very good. Very good. I wouldn't mind um, hearing your, uh, you mentioned nutritionally, you don't do anything radical there to start with, but but I would assume that then becomes a topic of conversation. You said you make a few nutritional tweaks along the way. They see the buy-print, great results. They get more buy-in. What are your uh, base uh, nutrition philosophies, Matt? Is it, um, do you like, uh, I know Poliquin's and, and myself with my uh, athletes that I work with, with competition prep, you know, I, I opt for a gluten-free existence, you know, uh, good fats, that type of stuff. What about some, uh, for our listeners, your, your, your basic nutritional philosophies that, oh, yeah. you, that you adopt, certainly for these uh, firefighters and, and military? Well, the firefighters and military are built on shitty, horrible diets. Yeah. High high processed carbohydrate, high gluten, bad fats, trans fats, um, et cetera, et cetera, and massive deficiencies in certain nutrients and and minerals. So what I find is that with most of my guys in the fire department and military, they come back insulin resistant, they come back high toxicity, and the firemen especially come back bad recovery because they don't sleep well. And then low T, low testosterone due to inflammation. So what I do, the first thing I do is if they come back insulin resistant, is I get them on pretty mega dosages of magnesium glycinate to help with the insulin. Yep. Um, find that that also helps with my recovery people. That when they do get sleep, they sleep deeper. So we have a huge, I don't know if you do in Australia, um, but... We have a huge magnesium deficiency over here due to the stuff we sprayed on the, the plants and animals 50 years ago has drawn out a lot of our our minerals out of our soil. So yes. especially in the Midwest where we are, and it's mostly farmland, we have a huge magnesium deficiency that's causing some of the, of the uh, obesity issue yeah. because the insulin starts to respond incorrectly to carbohydrate. So what I initially do with most of my firemen is try to pull them on low carb, get up their good proteins and their good fats. If I can get them on that 75% of the time, I'm fixing like 90% of the problem. Right. Yes, and do you see the, uh, I use the bioprint as well, Matt. Do you see a correlation in the metabolic analytics once you've had the guys on this this, uh, program for a couple of months? Yeah, it's huge, but I think it stretches more than a couple of months. It depends... A couple of months for guys that are gung-ho and do it 100 miles an hour, yeah. and a couple of years for guys that it takes me pulling teeth to get it to change slowly. 
So yeah. um, that's very individual, and it's based. It's like anything else. It's based on how hard you want to do it. Yeah. Um, and I find that dealing with firemen and, and things of that, and even military up to a certain point, um, the only difference, most of the time, being is age, is that. Uh, those kind of changes nutritionally and stuff like that can be very difficult because we're raised to eat shit. Yeah. And people don't go to the military right out of high school because they got full ride scholarships to college. So you're not dealing with kids that have high levels of education and nutrition and the same holds true in the fire department. You know, you yeah. don't have to be a college graduate and I'm not saying college graduates know everything, but you don't have to be a college graduate to be a fireman. And I think that that can hurt your baseline knowledge of a lot of different things that are health-oriented when you get older because guys just think they can eat like shit their whole yeah. life. And then all of a sudden at 35, 40, they're getting blood work back with, you know, 1,000-point triglycerides and terrible cholesterol. Well, you know, that's yeah. the reason why is lack of activity and terrible diet. So I find that working with most people, the hardest thing I get to change is their diet. So yeah. if I can show mobility changes, then I can do the metabolic analysis and get some magnesium and some yeah. zinc and things that they might come up that are deficient, get those things changed. I find the last thing I can change is how they eat. And, yeah. and, and tell me, Matt, you, you mentioned that they get the routine blood work and, and usually you see a positive um, changes on the blood work. You, you mentioned low T when you're addressing the nutrition and getting some protein up and like you said, the good fats and whatnot. Um, are you seeing like the testosterone levels increase? Like it, the markers across the board are all getting better. Obviously, the the insulin uh, resistant and the the cholesterol and stuff are probably improving. But are you seeing the the test levels improving for the guys too? Of course. I mean, you know, the test levels, especially for the guys that go gluten free and the guys that start backing off dairy um, and start in decreasing their inflammation, you start noticing an uh, increase in testosterone. So, I would, you know. Uh, really persuade people that if a doctor tries to put you on testosterone because you have low T, make sure you have all your other bases covered yeah. and that your body's not so inflamed that it doesn't want to make testosterone. Yeah, yeah. really interesting. Fascinating. It's funny, Matt, we had a, earlier today, actually, we had a chat with uh, Jean-Francois Tremblay. Uh, I'm not sure if you, you do know him. You may through uh, Poliquin Circles, and he's an authority oh. on um, peptides talking about injury repair and recovery and anti-aging i wonder if there's any scope for these uh special forces you know the firefight department to move down that angle at some stage i think so but the problem is is that i think that that would be or in my opinion would be reserved for guys that have given everything else that they yeah. it's just like yeah. performance enhancing drugs you know yeah. everybody wants to take a peptide or a steroid to fix a problem they could fix naturally, they're just too damn lazy to do it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, if you if you are like an Ed Cohen or a me in our prime, and you're looking for that last little bit of healing or performance, that's a completely different game if you decide you want to take peptides. But I find that most people that are going to testosterone or peptides or other performance or enhancing healing properties they're not doing everything capable that they can do naturally they're just yeah. trying to find a shortcut because the one are uneducated or two are just lazy yeah that's interesting because it, it was it was nice to hear you 
mentioned Matt that uh, you know just base level of supplementation, some maglycinate, a bit of zinc, but they weren't uh, getting too caught up on. Uh, well, here's your, your your barrage of supplements. This will get you in into shape. It's more let's get you moving. Let's it's a nice five year long project. Yeah. Let's slowly get the food uh, adjusted. But um, you know, using I think those performance enhancing or recovery enhancing type stuff for normal people is like putting a band-aid on a gunshot wound yeah really fixing the problem you're just covering it up yeah yeah 100 percent. well everyone in this day and age is all stressed out i'm sure guys at the fire department are no different matt what does the uh the wellness aspect to what you do what, what does that look like i'm mostly in charge of the physical attribute side yeah. um i don't do I mean, obviously, if you're a trainer, you're a freaking psychologist too, right? And yeah. a doctor. And a doctor. But, and a doctor. I find, yeah, I find that most of my ability to save the department money lies in increasing um, strength and then decreasing soft tissue injuries. But as we all know, most people that work out pretty hard and do it smart and don't get a lot of injuries tend to be happier people anyway. Very true. So I find, yeah, that that's kind of probably how I have a positive influence on that type of uh, thought pattern but most of my um, you know experience and, and forte revolves around biomechanics you know yeah, yeah. fair enough T- tell me Matt um, absolutely fascinating hearing that aspect and where you're going with the business but what uh, what about yourself mate are you still uh, cranking out some uh, numbers are you uh, looking at competing in again anytime soon, or what, what, what's in your yeah, world, mate? Kind of up in here. I kind of was telling people on uh, social media that this last meet that I just did last weekend, um, where I tweaked my back a little bit, was going to be my last one just to focus on business. Um, not that I'm not going to train super hard. I'm just starting to find that I just don't have the time to peak anymore. Yeah. And yeah. I guess what that means is that I guess I could peak half-assed, but the problem is is that coming from my pedigree, all I've ever known is to go 100 miles an hour. And for me, that means sleeping. You know, when I, as strong as I am, and there's guys that are stronger than me, but um, as strong as it's taken me to be, it's taken everything. It's a 22 and a half hour job a day. You know, I'm yeah. sleeping 10, 12 hours a day. All wow. of my clients and training is based around my, my eating process and how much calories I have to get in or this or that. Um, there's a lot of factors that are involved when you start pushing the genetic ceiling limit that I just don't know for me to be a good coach and run a, a good gym and take care of all these firemen. I'm starting to get to the point in my career where I feel like I'm responsible for so many things and I'm starting to do these uh, responsibilities a disservice because I've always put myself first and now I feel like my knowledge level is so high that you know the reason I used to do that was I didn't want people you know if I gave an advice to someone on how to train or what to do I wanted my opinion to have merit because I lived it yeah. and I feel like I've done that and I've done it for my whole uh, prime of my life I, I just turned 38 I did my first bench press meet when I was 13 so that's 25 years um, I think I would be better served to the, to the population to to keep playing with my diet to stay strong and stay healthy and we both know we all know that world-class weights and world records are not healthy yeah they're beyond they're taking a healthy they're taking something healthy and going to an extreme with it and i and i'm okay with that if it's 
damage some part of my health. But the issue is, is that I'm young enough to where if I change my thought pattern on that and start to work on being healthier, I can be a more functional uh, part of the society with this kind of stuff and make more changes as I get older. I don't want to be – I Eddie, Ed Cohen is like my idol. Paul Quinn's my idol, but I don't want to be as fucked up as they are when they're when I'm 50. Yeah, and, and the point you made is that you've got a service to humanity. You can make a real difference on the planet with what you're doing. I think yeah. that takes priority. When I see a guy that's, you know, that's a manager at a grocery store or – you know, doing a job that I'm not, and I'm not saying that I'm better, not by any means. No. But what I'm saying is, is that if you got a guy that all he cares about is lifting and hasn't went and got education and hasn't got the, you know, experience of working with the people that I have, and he wants to go and rip his hamstrings clean off his back and he wants to blow his kneecaps off trying world records, that's awesome. I, 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 I do not judge somebody <laughs> for doing that, but I feel like. I want people to look at me as I have a lot more to offer than just what my body can do. You know, I think, um, not that I'm anywhere near in the same boat as you, but I turned, uh, you know, 43 this year and, and, uh, you know, my lifts, I've done 285 deadlift and, you know, raw yeah. and, and 185 bench and, you know, far cry from anything that, um, you've done, but you know, it's all relative and, uh, and I just, yeah, eh, like I, I just don't, I just don't lift like now it's more about uh, volume. I'm, uh, you know, but yeah. I've just changed my training just cause it's, you know, just all the injuries cropping mm. in and, and why, like yeah. there's no point. There's balance. I mean, what I find is what makes me exceptional is that I have done those world records. I have been, you know, one of the top five strongest guys in the world at whatever way yeah. of training I decided or competition raw or equipped I decided to do you know, top five or top one in the world. And I still got a master's degree and I still run a business yeah. and I'm charge of hundreds of fire department guys. And I still do a lot of different things. And that's kind of where, you know, if I took all that away and didn't care and could just live in my mom's basement and train, <laughs> yeah, hell yeah, I'd be stronger, but I'd be a freaking loser. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 What's the big vision, Matt? What do you, uh, what do you dream of? Honestly, if I could, you know, in 15 years, if I could remember it, be remembered as a pioneer for training and changing the way firemen and police and military look at yeah. their wellness programs and their strength conditioning, I felt like I had made my mark. Because, yeah. and I'll tell you why. When I in 2007, I was already working with Ranger Regiment, which is a Special Forces Division. I was already working with them for about a year and a half. So I had a decent amount of time underneath me, and one of their one of their lead snipers came back from um, a pretty brutal. We lost, I don't know, maybe eight or ten guys oh, wow. out of like only a, a couple of hundred. So it was a pretty bad, pretty bad uh, tour. And they come back, and the one guy, and I, 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 he told me who it was. I didn't remember, but he said I'd seen him before. He had gotten shot, and the bullet had missed his heart by fractions of an inch. And this guy was strong enough to pull him 100 yards away from where they were getting shot at. And he basically came to me in tears telling me that if he wouldn't have trained like I had told him to train for the last year and a half, there was no way he would have been strong enough to drag him that far and get him away, and he would have died. And that's when you start realizing, like, fuck powerlifting. Screw people to get performance gains 
what I know can save somebody's ass. Yeah. And when I started realizing, like, man, if I can just get these fire guys, like, 100 pounds stronger or get their deadlifts up to 200 kilos or get my military guys to be able to lift 220 kilos yeah. and then be able to sprint, you know, 40 yards in, like, five seconds in full gear, that is when I started realizing that this is my calling and this is what I have to do to make sure that I give back to whatever I can with the knowledge that I have. And if I can make guys stronger, more resilient and be able to help each other, then to me, that's the biggest pat on the back that I need, you know? Yeah, that's awesome, man. Awesome. Um, and so for, for our listeners, uh, because correct me if I'm wrong, you do still do some online coaching for, for some uh, powerlifters, athletes. One of the local guys here, if you remember, Michael James, just did uh, have along with you and it was always cursing all the volume that he was getting but uh, he got stupidly strong in the gym is that still an option mate or are you moving more to this just dealing with the the, the, the special forces and, and fire brigade and, and police no we write workouts from everybody at every walk of life I'm just specialized I can specialize in because of my in-depth knowledge personally on powerlifting yep. and special warfare stuff you know so I I write workouts for guys that are special forces all the way down to guys that are going into the military and want to be able to make it to special forces so they're more fit when they get into basic so they can get selected. So we do selection workouts, we do basic training workouts, we do general fitness, we do powerlifting. Um, And and a lot of that's just come from my background. I mean, I've done, I've written workouts for almost every type of goal you could possibly imagine. And that's where we really excel is that you got guys that can write powerlifting workouts but I don't know if you got guys that say, you know, like say you were to call and ask me, hey, Matt, I want to work out and I'm going to try to join the SWAT team over there or whatever. Yeah. I will know how to do your weights, your cardio, blend it all together so you don't overtrain and be able to maximally put out whatever you need to put out. And if the goal is powerlifting, that's fine, whatever. But the point is, is I've had such experience with so many populations that doing that stuff for me is not that hard because I do it all the time. Beautiful. So, for our listeners that do want to work with you, um, how will they? What's the best um, Facebook uh, email? What's the best way to get in touch with you? The best thing to do is just to get on winningstrength.com yep. and go to the online coaching and start emailing. Because what we do is we take, we not only send you a program. That program is custom designed for your goal. So, yeah, and and, and you as an individual. So even if you're a powerlifter. We don't use the same template because obviously if you have different equipment, different time parameters, you know, I have guys call me all the time and go, hey, you know, I'm an, I'm an elite businessman. I only got time to train twice a week. What can I do that's going to be the best for that time? All the way down to a high school kid that parents want to have him be the best at the high school t- championships and could train every day, you know. So go on, the, go on the website. Go to online coaching. We're going to take video of your squats, your bench, your deadlift. Awesome. Uh, cardiovascular training if need be and we're going to assess you before we even write anything so we're on the right track so good and what about uh, nutrition side of things do you help the for our listeners that, that want to delve into that world as well you help there yep yep the best way to do that I've done it online as far as people from very far away but the best way obviously is to get go to a place like you guys and get a metabolic analysis so I have an idea of what your blood work's telling me or yeah. send me your blood work and then what I'll do is base a diet off of what I feel like your body is needing at that time. Um, you know, because if you're throwing an insulin score of, say, a five or a six, which is really bad, 
you can't use pre and post carbohydrates even yeah. around your workouts and you got to change your breakfast and this and that and yep. sometimes if you're skinny fat it's hard to see just from a picture yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. true 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 yeah. true Wonderful. Well, Matt, uh, mate, yeah. thank you so much for coming on the podcast. But yeah. uh, on a broader note, thank you so much for what you're doing in the world, mate. It's it's, uh, it's very exciting and inspirational yeah. to have people like you on the show and um, and doing big things, you know? Yeah. Not a problem, man. I, I was actually over there in 2012, and I spoke with uh, Sydney's SWAT team. Oh, really? Then was at the, yeah, and then was at the Sharks, you guys' pro rugby team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, yep. And at the Wallabies, and did seminars for both of them in 2012. Um, I love it. I love it over there. I think it's awesome. Well, we yes. ought to, we ought to set something up sometime. Well, you know, uh, I always throw it out there that we, the guests that we have on, where maybe we could uh, make that happen in uh, 2018, mate. Get you down under and a um, bit of a tour. Yeah, yeah man. Let me know. I'll totally be down to come over there. Work on the tan. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> All right, mate. Have a, have a good night. I really appreciate you uh, checking in today and uh, coming on the podcast. I look forward to chatting again soon. Not a problem, man. Anytime. Just get over me. All right, man. Thanks, Thanks man. Matt. See you we'll soon. We'll see you. All right. Bye. Well, i got to say, Rodden, I'm, uh, I'm pretty pumped up and excited after that, mate. Like, it's... It's always a pleasure when you talk to someone who's on an absolute mission in life. Yeah. You know, sure, he could be pulling massive numbers and still competing at a very high level in yep. um, in powerlifting, but mm-hmm. he's been uh, awakened right to this higher purpose to yeah. go in and make a difference in the world. Yeah. And, um, you know... And to a de- pe- demographic that, that uh, more often than not gets missed. We yes. rely on them to be uh, efficient and, uh, I guess, uh, you, you would assume a base level of strength, but by the sounds of it, there's... Uh, you know a lot that can improve um you know with the fire fire brigade and uh that that type of demographic where mm. you know it legitimately is maybe a difference between life and death you know if these guys uh, yeah. do have that core fundamental strength so yeah. a really and good vision make great idea for a business model as well like if you, yeah. you systemize that and you can send it around the world to yep. all sorts of different mm. um uh, services yeah and I, and I get the sense he's uh pretty slick with the the back end stuff yeah. like a big picture type stuff with matt yeah. and, um, and look you don't you don't get to set world records and be one of the strongest dudes on the planet if you don't uh, think big and and are organized yeah so uh very exciting you can learn more about matt at winningstrength.com uh right mate well that's uh that was very enjoyable evilgeniusdownunder.com for yep. uh, all of the info and tickets and discounts and stuff like that. everything well we could and the the discount for our listeners i think it's uh, evil, uh, evil UTB. UTB. So chuck that one in, get a little yeah. 50, 50, 50 bucks off the uh, full full price ticket. So um, for our listeners, yeah, don't we, tell anyone though. We just went for an easy to, uh, you know, everyone's out there typing in balls deep yeah. and you know, flies eyes and flies stuff eyes. like that. They're, they're very humorous stuff. Throw but them off the scent. Yeah. yeah. Evil UTB. Yeah. Simple. All right, mate. Well, you have a lovely day. Uh, yep. It's been a pleasure. Can you have a lovely day? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, we'll talk to everyone uh, next time we see you. Bye. Bye.